Wow. We're in chapter 8, but we've covered so much already. And remember in chapters 4 and 5, we saw the scroll, beautiful chapters. I think maybe a couple of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible. Just incredible worship. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John looked, it was the Lamb of God. He alone was worthy to open the scroll. And there in chapter 6, he began to open the seals, which would eventually open the scroll. And each of these seals had significance. And uh, it looked like we were going to get all seven seals in chapter 6, but we didn't. We only got six of the seals. So chapter 7 for sure would give us the seventh seal, but it didn't. And we got to sort of get used to this. This is, it's, it's a Eastern mindset. It's a Jewish way of writing again, where it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to talk about this three and a half years, and then I'm going to talk about a little further, and then I'm going to go back to the beginning of that three and a half years and give you some information, and then I'm going to jump over the end of that three and a half years, give you a little information, and then I'm going to jump back to the middle of that three and a half years and give you some of that stuff, and, and then it's like, okay, let's move on. Oh, I'm going to jump back. And, and so it keeps adding in information, so you gotta, gotta play it loose, and you gotta be ready that, that it's not this nice chronological everything you need to know, it's gonna be laid out perfectly, and once we, you know, finish year one of the seven-year tribulation period, we're not going back. It's not that way. We're going back, and we're constantly filling in information, and so what happened here in, in chapter seven was actually saying Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> at, the, at the beginning, and, and the word metatauta is used twice there, which is right at the beginning of the tribulation period, after the church age. It was a word used at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, where the church age, we're not talking about that anymore. Now we're talking about the tribulation period. He uses that word. So it's the beginning of the tribulation period. There's going to be 144,000 powerful Jewish evangelists slash prophets who are empowered with the Holy Spirit. There's a seal on their forehead. Uh, I think it's probably the sign of the cross myself and sort of talked about that why. And then the end of chapter seven was talking about the martyrs, people that had died in the tribulation period that now go to heaven, but they're not seated upon the throne as the Lord had promised. If you overcome if you give yourself as a holy, righteous child in God's hands, I'm going to take you, rapture you before the tribulation period. You're not going to go through the tribulation period. And here's a promise. You're going to sit on my throne as I sit on my Father's throne. You're going to rule and reign with me, equally to me. But yet these martyrs in chapter 7, they're looking at the throne, not sitting at the throne. They are standing before the throne and observing the throne and then they are serving night and day before the throne. They're not as we are ruling and reigning with Christ from the throne. So it appears that these people that do become born again believers to a different degree in a different way, it seems like more like an Old Testament believer where the Holy Spirit is upon them but not in them, the way the New Testament believer making them a 
new creature in Christ. And, and we're gonna see more information about that time. But it seems like they're sort of a second-class citizen. They're happy to be in heaven. They, they, they know their lot in life is, is they weren't ready when the rapture came. And they're glad to be in heaven, but yet they don't have the same status as those who were ready at the rapture. Well, not to re-preach that chapter, so tonight now we head in to chapter 8, which we have hopes of hearing seal number 7. And so in chapter 8, verse 1, and when he opened the seventh seal, hey, there it is, guys. It did. It did happen. So the parentheses of chapter 7 was only one chapter. But then notice what quickly happens. Let's see the seventh seal. Uh, there was silence in heaven about a half an hour. <laughs> oh, more delay. You know, it's like, okay, the seventh seal, here it is. Nah, there was silence for a half an hour. We're going to make you wait a little bit longer. <clears throat> Which is sort of interesting. Because as we look at all the pictures of heaven, guys, it's happening, man. There's things moving, there's things flying, there's trumpets blasting, there's thunder going, there's movement and excitement and all kinds of interesting creatures, and, and everybody's active. The, the, the elders are active, the multitude's active, the angels are active, the seraphim, the seraphim, there's smoke. And it, I mean, there's just so much going on at once, you know? So uh, how many of you guys are hypertype people? I, I am. You can ask my wife. It's, it, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'll have eight things going on at once. And it just seems like there's no way possible he's functioning. And then she'll come in and say something. And I'm like, shutting them all off. What? 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 It's like, you know, I'm listening to four different sermons, reading commentaries, listening to music, and, and inventing a, a new way to get to the moon. And... Uh, I'm just hyper like that. It's, 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 it's not healthy. There's something wrong with me. Anybody who's close to me knows that. And, uh, but I'm ready for heaven. It's this hyper exciting place, man. And it's interesting because the devil has always thrown out this picture of heaven of this little baby on a cloud yawning, playing a harp. And then it's like, oh, don't you want to go to heaven? It's like, oh, my goodness. I don't want to hear harp music for eternity, you know. I don't want to be some little baby looking at a bunch of other little babies on a cloud forever. Eh, hell's starting to look really good to me. Have you ever, you ever seen that where it's just the devil trying? Man, when you look at every picture of heaven, there's no babies with their little butts sticking out, shooting arrows or playing harps. I mean, there's just, it was just simply the devil trying to say, let me give you a picture of heaven that you wouldn't want to go there. But it is simply a figment of the devil's imagination because he has been there. He lived there. He knows what a, let me say, fun, radical, exciting, new things happening, place to be. Now, there are some horrible, horrible people 
And I am not one of these people that try to make a theological position that there must be two different raptures. One for the men and one for the women. Because they say, how could there be women in heaven and have silence for a half an hour? (laughs) That's horrible, isn't it? Down with those kind of men. It's just a joke, guys. But uh, <laughs> silence in a half an hour. There must not be any women there. Um, but, but the point here is, is this is once in an eternity thing happening. It's not like, oh, guys, it's 2 o'clock. It's silence time like we have every day in heaven. They're saying, man, there is silence for just a half an hour in heaven, and we've got to document this because this is probably never going to happen again. It was a radical thing. There was silence in heaven. You know, it's interesting. Before the presence of God comes, sinful man has a sense of not being ready to be before God or before God's plan, and we find man being silent because he's understanding the depth of which he's stepping into in the presence or the will or the calling of God. But that's the only time. So the Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God. But it's not painting heaven. It's really saying we need to contemplate deeper than we've ever contemplated because we're getting ready to step into God's presence or God's will like we never did before. For example, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So be still and make sure you're ready for that day to come. In Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Be still, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So again, causing man to double-check that he's ready. And then Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple, Let all the earth keep silent before him. So these again are all pictures of silence, but it's man being silent, not heaven being silent, not God being silent, but man be silent because there's a depth of readiness that he's not ready or repentance he hasn't repented about or a commitment that he hasn't made the complete commitment for God's will to be done. And he needs to get there before that day comes or before the Lord requires it of him. Well, moving on in chapter 8, verse 2. I saw the seven angels who stand before God and in them were given seven trumpets. You know, guys, there's all kinds of books written about people who have died and went to heaven for a few hours or went to hell for a few hours and and everybody, these, these things cycle around. It's sort of, you know, some guy writes a book on demons and the devil and hell and 
then all kinds of books come out of the woodwork and everybody's like, oh man, did you know that the devil has 15 levels of demons and, you know, four of them, you know, have big heads and one eye, and they come up with all this stuff. None of it's in the Bible. And you get the entire church talking about demons and types of demons and how they walk and what kind of jeans they wear and, you know, and, and, you know, as a pastor, I'm just like, stop this. Man, have you read this book? No. And don't encourage anybody else to read it. But man, I'm telling you, this guy died and he went to hell for 20 hours. And man, he's got, you got to hear this. It's so inspired me. And man, I'm so on fire with the Lord. I have repented every since. And it's just like, stop this. It's just a fad. And it's taking your eyes off a solid walk with the Lord it, 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 this comes. I've seen it come and go. And then everybody's seeing demons, you know. Brian, uh, it's two in the morning. I took my trash out and, you know, I smelled sulfur and then there was smoke and it was a demon with three heads and he said to me, you know, it's like, did you read that book I told you not to read? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just like, the very next night, Brian, the demon's back. What do I do? Can you bring some holy oil? No, nah, I've got to call the Pope. We only get that from the Vatican, you know. Um, it just gets ridiculous. And then you go through the angel phase, you know, and they're, Brian, I don't want you to make me think I'm weird. But tonight while you were preaching, there, you know, there's seven different levels of demons there's the this and that and that and this. And, you know, there were three different type of level three demons on each side of you. And, you know, and it was amazing because they all had this color of sword in their hand. And they had this kind of tip on the sword. And, you know, all this craziness, you know, not in the Bible. And, and again, it's just taking people off track from just a simple, solid Walk with the Lord. Now, as we read the Bible, were there times that people saw angels and demons? There were. So if somebody has an experience of seeing an angel or demon, I wouldn't say that never happens or that's not biblical. It is biblical. But, but again, I've just seen these fads where people get on these things and it's in an unhealthy way. Now, the reason I'm saying that here is because we don't have lots of information. We do see here, though, there are seven angels, and these angels stand before God. Now, in in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, Gabriel, the archangel, we know that because the Bible tells us that. Uh, Lucifer once held that position. But he says, I am Gabriel, who, what? Stands in the presence of God. So the top angels, whoever they are, and here we see there evidently is seven, at least seven of them, who are these high-ranking angels who are right there next to God, um, are the ones who are given, in in verse 2 here of chapter 8, these seven trumpets. Again, the trumpets have all kinds of significance in the Scripture, but each of them is to make a declaration, whether it's going to war or going to worship or 
making a proclamation of what's happening next. And so these high-ranking angels are getting ready to blow trumpets to make a clear uh, moment in time that needs to be noticed by us. And then in verse 3, then there is another angel. Now, in the Greek, there's two different words for another. One is another of the same kind. The other is another of a different kind. If I gave you a cup of coffee and you started sipping on it and then you just jugged it right down. And I'm like, wow, you really enjoy that cup of coffee. I would say, can I give you another of the same kind? Can I pour you another cup? Can I give you another? Yeah, I'll take another, another cup of coffee. On the other hand, if I saw you take a sip of the coffee and I saw this weird look on your face and you set it down and three minutes went by and you haven't touched it again, I might say, would you like another of a different kind? You didn't, I, I'm guessing you didn't like the coffee. Can I get you something different? Another, something of a different kind. The reason I make point of that, because this is another of the same kind. So then there was another angel of the same kind. However, different. Maybe more high-ranking or maybe another as in heavenly or originated in heaven or is the same spirit of heaven. It could mean a lot of different things. But I'm going to read this and I'm going to tell you what I think. So then there was another, verse 3, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. I just want to stop and make a note here, guys. Our prayers before God are right before his throne, and they are beautiful incense to him. And, you know, I might just add to that, these aren't prayers that are all only the prayers that are in the perfect will of God, prayed in his will with maturity. These are all the prayers. The prayers that God plans on saying no to, <laughs> the prayers that God's going to say wait for, the, God, the prayers that God's going to say just ignore because they're in complete immaturity. You know, think as a parent... Your five-year-old brings you home a drawing and you, you know, can't even tell what in the world that is. And he tells you it's a guy on a horse and you're like, oh, now I see it. Daddy, it's upside down. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, now I can see still the same scribbles. Um, What do you do with that picture? Is it precious to you? Is it valuable to you? Truly, truly it is. And I just want you to know that every meditation of your heart, every unofficial prayer, every official prayer, every prayer you prayed out of fear, (laughs) out of anxiety, out of ignorance, not the will of God, every prayer you pray is still of great value to God. Man, if we can get that in our heads... 
So often I think people don't pray because they're thinking I gotta make it so doctrinally correct. I gotta word it just right. You know, before I send it to the publisher, I need to think about this for a couple of months to make sure that I get it right, you know. And it stresses us out, it bogs us down, and we just slow down the factory-making prayer machine down to nothing. And, And what does God say about prayer? Pray without what? Ceasing. God is telling you he would like you to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. In a perfect world, that's what he wants. Okay, if somebody talked to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, year after year after year after year, (laughs) what would that do to you? It's sort of like, shut up! You know, you're annoying me. I'm going to go crazy. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. That's stupidity. That's, that'll never happen. That'll, you know, whatever. But God is not man that we should compare him, the Bible says. We're made in his image, so there's a lot of ways we are similar to God and can understand what he wants from us. But what God wants from you is just a heart casting all your cares upon him, praying without ceasing. And every one of them is a valuable incense. And when he burns it, it's a beautiful smelling aroma that brings him joy and gladness. Can we get that down? Because Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, that the number one most important thing to God in building his church, first of all, prayers and supplication with thanksgiving be made for all men, especially men, would lift up holy hands and pray everywhere without wrath and doubting. So in particular, men would, aren't as communicative as women would, would get over that. <laughs> um. Paul says, I pray with my mouth and my brain, and it's, it's, it's an intelligent prayer I pray. And then Paul says, other times I just pray with my spirit, and I turn my brain off. My brain's fruitless. It's just with my spirit, I'm just praying. In Romans 8, it says groanings that doesn't make any sense to any man. It doesn't make sense to you, but they're groanings where God's spirit is praying alongside your spirit in the perfect will of God. So there's praying where your heart just groaning. Oh my God. You know, you're just groaning as you think about your marriage. You're groaning as you think about your kids. You're groaning as you think about uh, desires you have to grow spiritually uh, for financial freedom, uh, to do a better job at work, to be a better friend, what, whatever it is. We can just, we don't have to always pray this logical, thought-out prayer. And to realize, to God, what is it? It's a very valuable incense that's burned before him as he sits upon the throne. Remember we were talking about the throne? It's the center of the Everything. <laughs> Everything's coming from the throne. And what's right in front of the throne? The most important place that ever will exist where God sits and what's right smack dab in front of that? Your prayers. You. 
He knows every hair upon your head. He knows every thought that you think. Boy, I don't, I don't think we get how valuable we are. You know, the guy draws Mona Lisa. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I think I've done better paintings than this. Eh, what do you think? Yeah, she looks sort of depressed. Yeah, I think I'll set it over there. You know, I wonder how long the Mona Lisa set around as just uh, one of a bunch of paintings before somebody finally figured out it was a masterpiece worth who knows? We don't, you can't put a price on it. In the same way, I think the devil would love us to look in the mirror and see something that's not valuable. I think he'd love to see us that we think we're worthless. But yet, God is constantly telling you that you are so valuable that he would give his only begotten son to be hideously tortured that he might have you for all of eternity. The value God has put on us is incalculable. And therefore, the prayers that we produce are of a value that cannot be numbered. And so, guys, pray. (laughs) You receive not because what? You ask not. Boy, that's a pretty easy calculation. We're gonna go to heaven and look at the books and see how many things... God could have worked out supernaturally for us. How many mountains could have been uprooted and cast into the sea? How many financial things, physical things, relational things, you know, that we suffered with for eight months or 10 years that God had planned to take care of after a couple of weeks of wrestling with him in prayer over? Interesting, isn't it? So really, I'd like to say, pray too much about it. But you can't do that, can you? There is no such thing. And of course, the joy and the freedom of a person who comes to learn to pray constantly without everything, what maturity it brings about in our life, what spiritual mindedness it brings about our life. So many benefits. Uh, I can't stop and preach a sermon on prayer here tonight. But these prayers are before the throne of God. Now in verse four, and the smoke of the incense... With the prayers of the saints, ascend before God, referring to the Father, from the hands, or excuse me, from the angel's hand. This angel that's similar of the same kind of the other seven angels we talked about in verse two. Guys, most commentaries believe this here is referring to Jesus. Now, people say, Jesus, Jesus is not an angel. That's heresy. Jesus is God. He wasn't created. Angels were created. This is where the JWs and other cults like to get in. They like to call Jesus an angel. They like to go back to the Old Testament and find places where the angel is mentioned and we discover later it is Jesus. Many, many stories of the Old Testament, it'll refer to an angel And then you realize later, it's Jesus. For example, Joshua is trying to figure out a a military plan to, to take down Jericho. Do you remember this? And he comes up over a hill and there's an angel standing before him with this sword drawn and he's pointing at Jericho and he says, take off your sandals, this place is holy ground. 
Who said that? The burning bush. God said that. We saw here in Revelation when John wanted to worship an angel, what did these angels do? They freaked out. <laughs> They're like, whoo, do not worship me. I worship God alone, man. They, they scolded John for that. But yet the word angel is used there. Why? Because, guys, the word angel is, is exactly the same word, messenger. But what happened with most translators, translating is a very complicated thing. They said, we are going to just, every time we see this particular Hebrew word, we're just going to translate it messenger, period. We're not going to think about it and say there's four different ways we can translate that word. Now, if it absolutely doesn't make sense to do messenger, then we'll go or excuse me, the word angel, we're translated angel. Then if it doesn't work, then we'll do it as something else. So it really wasn't a good choice they made. But I think God's in that, that forces us to say, guys, look at the original language. Don't just look at the English translation in front of you. And, and guys, there's also many more tenses. You know, we just have in English a pretty simple past, present, and future. We don't have a lot of, of much more. Most languages, instead of just having a simple past, present, and future, will have very complex past, very complex present, very complex future tenses. And if you go back to the Hebrew and the Greek, they also have very many complex uh, in the same way. And so we simply have to look. And, and there, honestly, there are some verses in the Bible that absolutely do not work in our English translation. You're forced to go, you know. For example, in First John chapter three, it says, so whoever sins has never seen God nor known God. If you have sinned, there's no way you're saved. Is that true? That's what it says in our English translation. And typically, when I'm discipling a new believer, they're like going, ah, you know, what do I do with this? I sinned. I've never seen God. Oh, no, God, I've never been saved. No, go back to the original. It's very clear in that tense. It's an ongoing, practicing life. And most modern translations will actually not do a literal translation. And they'll say, the person who, without regard to God, practice continues sin, has neither seen God nor... And that's what it really means, okay? And it's interesting because if you look in the chapter 1 of 1 John, it says the opposite of chapter 3 of 1 John if you don't go back to the original language. So why am I saying this? Because I think this word here is being translated in the English, angel because of what some translators decided 500 years ago. But I also think it's the Lord to say to us, don't use the Bible only in your English. Realize it came from Hebrew and from Greek and parts of it from Aramaic and love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul and all your what? Your mind. Right? In Second Timothy 2.15, it says to, to be a workman in the word of God, rightly dividing the word of truth, 
so you would not be ashamed. He tells us right there that understanding the Bible is going to take work. You've got to go right down to parse every, not just even the verse, but the words in the verse. He tells us that how, that's how you have to look at the Bible if you're going to get a proper understanding. So most of the verses of the Bible, guys, whatever language you're reading, face value, it is what it is. But there are some very important doctrinal verses that if you're looking at whatever the language is, Spanish or English or Russian or whatever, you're, you're probably not getting the full sense of it and maybe looking at it, you're not, you're even getting the wrong sense of it. And I think that's by God's design. I really do. And so the reason I'm saying that here is from the hand of Jesus the messenger, and that's who he is. Jesus came to be the messenger of his father. He came in human flesh to be that messenger. Jesus has our prayers in his hands. I love this. So we pray. They go right into this giant cauldron in front of the throne of God where the Father and the Son sit and Jesus personally, our intercessor, our Savior, our Lord, our friend, our brother, takes all of our prayers and he knows them all. He sifts them all. And then he gives them to the Father. He's our mediator between us and the Father. Who is that mediator? Jesus Christ. And I just, it's just an amazing picture to me. And boy, doctrine and I could go off on, on just the significance and the importance of that. Well, in verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. You know what I'd like to say here? All the prayers of the saints that have not been dealt with are answered, and God has been saying, wait, wait, wait. God, bring revival. God, bring healing. God, stir up our nation to repentance. Maybe some of these prayers that God has been keeping on hold for hundreds of years. All of a sudden, he says, I'm answering them all right now. All of these millions, billions of prayers of praying. Here's revival. And the earth shakes like it did in Acts chapter 4. You know, lightnings and thunders and so forth like we see many times in the movements of God, whether from Mount Sinai or the day of Pentecost. Um, We just see the mighty moving of God at this time. And then in verse 6, then... The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So there's, again, this deep sense of, of, I'm getting ready just to blast this trumpet, but it's spiritual, and God's going to use it mightily. And guys, if we could understand that, there's just nothing insignificant that we do. It tells us in the Psalms about Worship that on every symbol, God's prophesying, every stringed instrument, God's speaking. You know, if, if we come and just say, Lord, pr- 
prophesy as I play this guitar string. Lord God, pour your spirit out in power as I sing and worship you. We see this through the Bible, and I just hear the Lord saying, be it unto you according to your faith. Be it unto you according to your faith. And these angels are sensing, yes, I'm blasting a trumpet, but, you know, it's to be much more than just the sound of a trumpet. It's to be a mighty moving of God with this blasting of this trumpet, and they're preparing their hearts to believe God to do great things through a very little simple act. And in verse 7, so the first angel sounded, and hell and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees were burned up, and a third of all the green grass was burned up. So I might say to you, if you are set on going green, you want to be raptured, okay? Because it's going to be a horrible time to go green during the tribulation period. And you might say, hey, wow, a third of all the trees, a third of all the grass, whoa. But hey, look at the mercies of God. Two-thirds are surviving at this point. That won't be the case by the end of the tribulation period. But again, we're at the beginning, and there is the mercy of God that two-thirds are okay. And, and again, guys, I, I really, really want you to get this important, important point. As you hear speakers, as you read commentators, there's a certain group of people that want to naturalize all of these things. Now, hey, I am for it. God can work supernaturally in the natural. You know, I got a headache and I put a cloth on my head and I sit quietly for a little bit and a headache goes away and I'm praying and did my prayer heal me or just sitting still and having a nice cloth on my, you know, did God heal me in the nat? Either, either way, God can work and heal supernaturally in the natural. I'm fine with that, okay? So you could look at this and say, oh, this is a description of a nuclear bomb. So that's really what's happening. Now, let me tell you, this is a nuclear bomb explosion, you know? And it's like, you know, notice the word like isn't here. We talked about that early on in translation. When something, when the, when the, when the words are saying it's like, as we're going to see here in a minute, a mountain. It's not a mountain. It's like a mountain. It's not a mountain. It's not using that here. And so we got to be careful not saying, oh, well, yeah, one third. Of, it, it, that's, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a, a blast of a um, whatever, you know, of dynamite. <laughs> you know, that's a, a helicopter there. You know, yeah, I know it says locust, but it's really a helicopter, and this is an airplane, and this is a bombing. You know, I don't think we have to do that. Matter of fact, I think it's wrong to do that. You know, hell in this case is hell. Fire is fire. (laughs) Um, This thing mingled with blood, that's exactly what it is, and it's thrown to the earth. We don't have to change it. Um, A great commentary by the name of Seiss, S-E-I-S-S, he says this, the truth is, if earth, trees, grass do not mean earth, trees, grass, no man can tell you what they mean. 
letting go the literal significance of the, of the record, we launch out upon an endless sea of sheer conjecture. So, you know, hell doesn't mean hell, fire doesn't mean fire, earth doesn't mean earth, trees don't mean, we, you know, whatever it is, we, any, we, we never can come to a conclusion. We stay with the literal translation. If the literal makes sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. Okay? Well, in verse 8 here, the second angel sounded in something, notice here, like a great mountain. So guess what it isn't? A mountain. (laughs) It's not a mountain. We know that now. But it's something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, not like a sea, but the sea. Now understand at this time, when they simply used the word sea, typically they meant the Mediterranean Sea, because that's that's all that they knew. However, God knew that one day, us at the end of the times would be reading this and would know more than about the Mediterranean Sea. So to say this is simply referring to the Mediterranean Sea would be very understandable, but also to say that God knew that as we're reading this, we would know far more than about the Mediterranean Sea could, could give us a far greater scope. And of course, the Pacific Ocean uh, covers most of the, of the ocean of the planet, far lo- larger than the other ocean. So anyway, going on here, a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the scar is Wormwood. And the third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. So a star fell, and this star hit the planet, and its chemical composition was bitter, destructive to the planet and to man. This is prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 15. It says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. Almost, I won't read it, but almost identically in Jeremiah 23, 15. So my guess, usually when these things come out, is... is scientists that are completely ignorant of the Bible will see some asteroid falling and and they will get some sense of its composition. We'll call it Wormwood and we'll see on the front page of the newspaper one day, star Wormwood uh, expected to hit planet Earth. You know, this is going to happen again in the tribulation period. And then Christians or believers are going, Ah, oh, it's right out of the Bible. And then they show some scientists who named it that, and they're going, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, and, uh, but nevertheless, this, this is a significant thing that happens. And I say, well, why, why did God put this in there like that? I think, again, 
these are things that are probably going to lead people to Christ in the tribulation period. They're going to say, man, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a believer. And then the Christians are going, okay, let me tell you what's next on the radar here. We're in the tribulation period. This guy is the Antichrist. I know you think he's a great political leader, but he's possessed with Satan. In, in, in the three and a half year period, he's going to sit on the throne of Jerusalem and claim himself to be God. And he's looking at you going, I know that leader. He would never do that. Well, when he does that, remember what I'm telling you. But before that happens, there's going to be a star that hits the planet. And I'll just tell you the name right now. It's going to be Wormwood. How can you know that? I don't know that. The Bible tells us that. So when you hear about a star getting ready to hit the planet named Wormwood, Wormwood, remember what I told you. And its chemical composition is going to be such that it's going to cause the, the, the waters of the earth to taste horrible and bitter. And so as he's drinking this bitter water from this star woman, it's like, wow. And these things hopefully will cause these unbelieving hearts to become believing hearts. Well, quickly here in verse 12, Then the fourth angel sounded, and the third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and the third of the stars, so that the third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, likewise the night. So you got it? A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. That's a big number, guys. A third of them were all darkened. So imagine that. And then a third of the day did not shine. Wow. That's a long, dark period, isn't it? And in verse 13, and I looked and I heard the angel flying to the midst of the heavens saying with a loud voice, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Boy, calculate up the first three angels. And let me tell you something, guys. Planet earth will have at that point never seen such hard times in all its history and it's only halfway through the first blast of the trumpets. There's still three more to go and they're even worse. Jesus says this about it in Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of heavens will be shaken. I do want to make again one of those notes that's rather important. Maybe your Bible here, instead of saying angel, says eagle. Anybody have that translation? Yes? Um, You guys have heretical Bibles, you need to throw this away. No. Um, What you have here is in the Greek, the letters are almost identical. And so it's such a small difference. Some translated angel, some translated eagle. You say, wow, this is a big difference. Not really. Because remember in chapter four, verse seven, let me read that to you. The, talking about the sheriffim. It says the four living creatures was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature was like, had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like, and it wasn't, but was like a flying eagle. 
So remember, we're talking about the seven lead angels. And didn't tell us it was a sheriffim. Didn't tell it wasn't a sheriffim. So it's very, so even, even if they said this thing like an angel slash eagle came and did this, we'd say, oh yeah, we've already seen angels that look like eagles. So it, it's not that different. It, and it really is irrelevant uh, because we've already seen angels that look like eagles to some degree. So nevertheless, whichever it is, it makes absolutely no difference because this creature does declare the will of God and, and it does happen. And uh, wow, I it actually plan on getting on through chapter nine tonight, but uh, that's where we end. You know, again, it's God's will that we as Christians would understand the devastation of the tribulation period. Why? Because if there's any compromise in us, if there's something in us saying, well, if I get raptured, I get raptured. If I don't, not the end of the world. That you would really get shaken here to say, wow, (laughs) I do not want to end up on earth. As Jesus said, it's a time that you would be snared. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time, as we're going to see in chapter 9, the whole earth, right at the end of the beginning of chapter 9. So you just read this. The very next thing is the whole world is suicidal. Everybody on earth wants to die. And guess what happens? God doesn't allow anybody to die. There's five months where death takes a holiday. So at this point, everybody on earth is begging to die. And God doesn't allow it. So understand and this is just the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, how brutal it is. And of course, those who get saved are focused on evangelism. They get filled with the power of God. Even though it is an incredibly hard time, they're able to see uh, the mission they have. But it's not God's will that anybody becomes a Christian in the tribulation period. That's not his plan. That is a secondary thing that God does, but that's not his plan and um, I just want to finish with this verse, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 and through 13. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore... Since all these things will be dissolved, here it is, what manner of persons ought you to be in, number one, holy conduct, number two, in godliness? Looking for and hastening, please, now, quickly, Lord, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And again, when Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians, he said, thinking about the rapture and the tribulation period, be comforted. Comfort each other with these words. So even though we're looking at the tribulation period, guys, if you 
are walking an obedient, surrendered life to Christ. It's something that God wants us to know. He tells us, I'll bless you if you study this, to know this. Because again, you can say, hey, I'm not going to go through the tribulation period. So what's the matter to me? It matters to God that we as Christians know about this now. It changes how we live now. And I honestly think it keeps us from wandering away from God in these last days as these very deceptive and sneaky serpent-like ways of doctrines of demons slither in and, de- and deceive the believers, causing them to depart from the living God. Well, Lord, we come before you tonight, and we know as we are just going line upon line, precept to precept, here a little, there a little, there's things you're doing in us that we can't even calculate. Tonight, Lord, you, you've been burned into our hearts maybe to be a praying people like we've never been. But for all of us, Lord, we walk away saying we don't want to be on earth during this time. Even committing suicide won't get you out. Of course, that would probably give you a ticket straight to hell. That you are calling us right now to calculate this out and be a holy people, a godly people. And in my heart just cries out because I know there's so many people in our lives that could go to heaven and escape the tribulation period themselves that we have not yet spoken to about you. And they're ripe. All we gotta do is say a couple of sentences and they're ready to repent and believe in you and start coming to church with us every Sunday. But we just, have we don't have the faith. We've been dismayed at their faces. We've been more focused on our money and businesses and hobbies and stuff and and haven't really had a deep, joyful conviction to be the evangelist that you've called us to be, made us to be. Search our hearts right now tonight, Lord. There's little nuggets that you have brought out for each of us to plow up our hearts and plant that seed to grow. Please, Lord, let us all just leave here contemplating but ready to obey. And if you're here tonight and God has spoken to you, showing you you're not ready, if you were to have raptured this morning, you wouldn't have been raptured. And yet tonight you realize, I, I want to be ready. It's very simple. Jesus said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you're here and you're honest and he's looking at your heart, God, forgive me. Forgive me for being sinful, self-seeking, self-serving, greedy, angry. We could go on in that works of the flesh, lustful. Lord, forgive me. By the blood that you shed from the cross, by the punishment, my punishment for my sins that you took in your flesh, through your death, completing that punishment, and by your resurrection, conquering all my sin and death. Forgive me. And I purpose now in my heart, with your grace, with your strength, from this point forward, to live a godly, holy life, daily seeking you in the word, daily praying without ceasing, and being the man, the woman of God after your own heart who does all your will. I know I'll fail, 
but I know where my sin abounds, your grace abounds more. I just come to live in the world of your mercy and your grace and my heart just daily growing with a greater diligence to live for you and do your will. I yield myself to you in Jesus' name. And just bless all your saints tonight. Wash them in the water of your word. Amen and amen. Will the Lord bless you and keep you and strengthen you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Myself and the leaders are going to be in the desert. Really appreciate your prayers. Really, really need them uh, as we're going to go and cover some issues. Have a great night.